morning, everyone, and everyone joining us online. Uh, if we haven't met, my name is Ryan Moore, pastor of care here at the Life Christian Church. Uh, pastor Terry and, and Sharon are on vacation. Um, and so today I want to really talk about uh, God is the source of goodness. God is the source of goodness as we continue to tell a better story. Um, have you ever received a, a great gift? Have you ever received a bad gift? Have you ever received a gift that you thought was bad, but later realized was good? Have you ever experienced something that you thought was terrible, but later realized God was using for your good? Most of us, at one point through the last 10 months in our present circumstances, certainly would say we're in a a bad period. And in a lot of ways, we could obviously say that that is true. But it's also possible that this current season will actually end up being good in some really important ways. We have all heard someone say that God has cursed our world with COVID-19 because he is angry. And I suppose you can make an argument for that statement, but perhaps we should ask a different question. I'm certainly not diminishing the, the difficulty and the sorrow and the pain present in many of our lives, including myself, of what's going on. But nonetheless, might we look for ways that God desires to help us, teach us, and ultimately do good through this season. And so we must look to the source of all goodness, and the source of all goodness is God. Let me give you some context to today's passage. In James chapter 1, verse 16 through 18, James informs his readers about the goodness of God. This letter was written by James, the brother of Jesus, and a leader of the church in Jerusalem. So his major theme is for believers to live out their faith. And the purpose of James writing this letter is that James wants his readers who are going through suffering and persecution and living in poverty and also social and spiritual conflict that God is good and he's present in your trial. Many believers were living in a worldly matter, and so James answers this question that many of these Christians are asking, and maybe we're asking that as well. How are we to respond to life's trials? Why do we have to go through this ordeal? And is God responsible for evil? And so how do we respond to these life trials. And and James starts to answer the question in James chapter 1, verse 2 through 4. He says, consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. And perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. And so James is saying, embrace the process. God is building a stronger faith in you. And God desires to produce more and more fruit in your life. But also, he wants us to know, while you're going through the trial, ask God for wisdom, and God will answer you. How do we know that to be true and a fact? Well, James says in James chapter 1, verse 5, if any of you lack wisdom, he should do. What should he do? Ask God. And what will God do? He will generously give you wisdom without finding fault and it'll be given to you. So he answers this question also about evil. Is God responsible for evil? 
God's not to be blamed for evil. Human tendency tends to be that we blame God for evil, but we may not give him all the credit for all the good that he bestows. And so he shifts their focus on the nature of God, the character of God. And he says in James chapter 1, verse 16 through 18, these words. So don't be misled, my dear brothers and sisters. Whatever is good and perfect is a gift coming down to us from God our Father, who created all the lights in the heavens. He never changes or casts a shifting shadow. He chose to give birth to us by giving us his true word. And we, out of all creation, became his prized possession. So the first point that we understand today is this. God is the source of goodness. We find that in verse 17, the beginning of verse 17. It says, whatever is good and perfect is a gift coming down to us from God our Father who created all the lights in the heavens. And so then he starts to unpack this for us. There are three points here about God's giving. Number one, or point A, would be the first is that God gives only good gifts. Some of God's gifts are even mentioned within this chapter. Wisdom is one of them in verse 5. The eternal crown of life for enduring trials in verse 12 is another gift. The word of truth in verse 18 is also a gift. But we would also say family is a gift. Friends are gifts from God. The jobs that we hold are gifts from God. Beside these, there are other gifts that God may not seem to give us at first that we say is good, but they're just as good. For instance, God gave the apostle Paul a thorn in the flesh, which caused him much discomfort, but he sought the Lord three times to remove it. What happened? It became a tremendous blessing to him in the end, for he discovered how he can be strong even in the weakest moments through what? God's sufficient grace. Whatever God gives is always good. God may sometimes give us a a difficult trial to endure, but according to James 1.3, our text, these trials will eventually work to develop priceless virtue and patience in our character. And so at this point, it must be stated that while God is the giver of all good things and everything that he gives is good, he is not the giver of all that is not good, such as evil, sin, death. We know that wasn't part of God's plan. And so here in our passage, God's perfect gifts are contrasted against the imperfect gifts we receive when we give in to our own sinful desires and passions. According to verse 14 and 15, yielding to tempting offers, no matter how good and desirable they may seem to be, will only bring sin and death to us. And so we come now to this second point in verse 17 about God's giving and how he gives. And the way that God gives is always good. The point is highlighted in two instances of the word gift in this verse. There there are actually two different words in the original Greek New Testament. It's every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights. And so this first one, this first phrase, every good gift refers to the act or manner of giving. And the second one is in the phrase, every perfect gift, which refers to whatever is given. And so by combining them together, every good gift and every perfect gift, 
James tells us that God's goodness is seen both in his gifts and in the way that he gives them, right? God, God's giving is always out of pure, unconditional love towards us. Gifts that are given with love are the best gifts to receive. You know, I, two years ago, I got a really good gift from a friend of mine. Um, he said, I want to I treat you to a Brooklyn Nets game. And I'm a basketball fan, sports fan, and um, I was like, oh, great, you know, awesome, let's go. And so first time in the Barclays Center, um, going back to Brooklyn, seeing the Nets play the Celtics, they won. And, you know, we had a great time. I came home, and I, I just had the ticket stub in my pocket, so I checked out the ticket stub, and I looked at the price of the ticket, and I said, wow, that's love. If you go to any sporting events, you know they don't come cheap. However, in this world, there are some gifts that are better for us not to receive at all, such as gifts that can be given grudgingly or unwillingly, or, or worse, gifts that are given with an ulterior motive. Here, I want to give you this gift. If you would do these things for me, we don't want to take those types of gifts. God's giving is never like that. Goodness is behind every act that he gives us. And so, for instance, once again in James 1.5, we're told about the manner in which God gives wisdom to those who ask him for it. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should, what? Ask God, who gives generously. Generously. He's not stingy. And then when we come to him, he doesn't find fault in us. He doesn't come to us and say, you're here again for wisdom? Didn't I give you enough last week? Ryan, you need peace? Oh, come on. He gives it. He says, I have that and more. And so the last point of God's way of giving is he gives constantly. He's constantly giving to us. The point is derived from the words coming down in verse 17. It so happens that the tense used here is the present continuous tense. What does that mean? It means that the good and perfect gifts of God keep coming down to us. God's giving is not like the way we give people gifts. You know, you get a gift for your birthday, you get a gift for Christmas, and you get a gift for an anniversary, if you're lucky, right? God's not like that. God's giving is all year round. Every day is Christmas with us, with God. We receive a constant flow of gifts from him. You are receiving gifts from God right now as you're sitting in this very moment because the Bible says in him we live, we move, and we have our being. And so the fact that we're able to sit here and listen to this message should make us realize we're receiving a gift from God. The word of God is a precious gift to us. We have seen that everything God gives is good, that the way he gives is good. And he constantly gives. What should all this mean to us? Since God is the giver of all that is good, we should give him all the credit for every blessing or good thing that comes to us. And so this latter part of the verse brings us to yet another truth about God's goodness, which is God is not fickle. God is not fickle. Verse 17, latter part says, he never changes or casts a shifting shadow. He never changes or casts a shifting shadow. 
James reminds us that God never changes. He does not change for the worse because he's holy. He does not change for the better because he's perfect. God is unchanging in his character and his purpose. And so there are times in the Bible where it may seem that God changes. In each of these times, God changes his response because of a change in people. God's character, his will, and his purpose do not change at all. For example, God will change his response to us when we repent. He, what, he grants us forgiveness. And this is not a change in God's character. It's a change in us that results in a different response from the unchanging God. And so, from our perspective, everything around us changes. Every day there's a change going on. Day changes into night. Seasons change. Winter will soon be spring. (laughs) Spring will be summer, and summer will change to fall. Music changes. Styles change. Fashion changes. Technology changes. People change. We live in a changing society, a society that says if you don't like yourself, change. Change your job. Change your wife. Change your husband. Change your church. Change your God. James says, God does not change. James says, God does not change like shifting shadows. When you watch shadows, you can see them change based on how the sun moves and how the sun changes. The the shadows will shift based on the changes of the sun. In the same manner, James uses the phrase shifting shadows to refer to change. James says that God does not change. He is constant. He is always good. His goodness does not shift. His character is consistent and steadfast. God has been. God is. God always will be the giver of all good and perfect gifts. And so in him, there's no spiritual darkness in any form at all and ever will be. He is purely righteous in his character. And so the Bible says this. We can bank on this from Hebrews 13 and 8. He's the same yesterday. He's the same today. And he's the same forevermore. He's not going to change. Thus, we can and should always trust in him, always depend upon him, depend upon his goodness that is in our lives. We can and should trust him and depend upon his goodness towards us, even when suffering, even when going through a trial in our life or going through an affliction. We can still trust him because the things that the enemy has brought to us that were intended for evil and bad to destroy us, only God can turn them into good. That's who he is. That's his character. He's always good. He's always righteous in all things. All his relationships towards us is just that, good and righteous. He's a good, good father. God's word is also then producing new life in us. God's word is producing new life in us. Verse 18 says, 
He chose to give birth to us by giving us his what? His true word. And we, out of all creation, became his prized possession. We are told that he chose to give us birth. James reminds the people that from the very beginning, God has loved us. He brought us into the world, and he desires we have a relationship with him. God should be trusted because he gives good gifts. He's perfectly consistent, and he loves us. He sent Christ into the world so that we may know forgiveness and know the new life that he has for us. That's why Jesus himself said in John 10.10, we say this every week, and I love hearing those words, I've come that you may have life and that you may have it to the full. That just reminds me every Sunday where I'm here to remember that during this week, Ryan. Why? Because the enemy will try to rob us of that life in its abundance that God has given us. It's only by receiving Jesus as one Savior and Lord that we are now able to enjoy this abundant life. And we can say, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Psalm 23, 6. All the many benefits that we can receive from God's goodness, there's none that can ever compare with this one. It's God's gift of eternal life. It's the best gift of all. In fact, we've have, we have not received um, any particular gift that can really compare from that, compare to it. We're thankful for all the other blessings that he constantly rains down on us, but this is, this is it. We would not be able to experience any spiritual blessing if we did not receive Jesus as Lord and Savior. So we thank him for eternal life, the best blessing of all. And so verse 18 says this, this gift came to us only by the word of truth, which is the gospel of Christ. And, and what does the truth or true word of God do in our life? Well, we're sustained by God's word. We're sustained by God's word. It, it's, it's a blessing every day that when we get into God's word, the things that we can't do in our own strength, God's word sustains us. But we're also guided by God's word. God's word gives us instructions for life, how to live, how to treat our neighbors, how to love our husbands and wives, how to deal with conflict when we can't do it or we can't comprehend it in our own minds. We're also comforted by God's word. We're comforted by God's word. And so when we get into God's word, he comforts us. I, I, I just want to share this, that um, you know, this week I, I came in on Wednesday morning uh, to, to work, and it wasn't anything particular that I was fearful about, but anxiety had, had come about, just kind of flooding my mind, all the things that could go wrong today. And we know the enemy could be behind that. But I wasn't concerned about that. I knew that if I could talk with God, if I could get into his word, 
I could ask him for peace. So God, give me your peace that passes all understanding. And so when you look at God's word and and you see that he's going to give you that peace and you can ask him for that peace, he infuses us with peace. And you can walk the rest of the day in that because it's what? It's sustaining you. it's, It's guiding you. And it's comforting you. It's comforting you. And so he says, and we out of all creation became his prized possession. I mean, God has created some great things. We, we look at the earth and, and all the things that, you know, you go, wow, that, that's amazing, God. Colors, seasons, stars, you name it. Wow, this is great, God. But the Bible says that we, out of all of his creation, became his prized possession. A prized possession is something you would not want to live without. You would be upset if you lost your prized possession or someone stole it from you. The great thing about it is God, no one can steal us from God. You might have your pride possession on display on a shelf. Maybe you're hanging it up somewhere in an office. You, you might clean it and polish it on a regular basis. You light up when you're able to talk about your prized possession. You may actually go out with it and show it off to people. What are your prized possessions? Well, James 1.18 proclaims to us, we, out of all his creation, became his prized possession. Wow. Do you get that? You are someone's prized possession. But wait, not just someone's prized possession. You're God Almighty's prized possession. The Message Bible says he's showing us off as the crown for all his creation. And so, you know, um, recently, I've probably told some of you this, but recently my daughter went down to Florida uh, in the fall, um, and she entered this pageant. And she, she came back a winner, so she came back with a crown um, and a couple of trophies. And so, you know, she pops out the car, and she's like, Daddy, I won, I won. Let me show you. So she runs in the house, and she, it's in this, like, this glass case with a sash and crown and she's Miss Plainfield, New Jersey. And, and so I'm like, yeah, you brought the hardware back to the Garden State, you know, like it was the Stanley Cup or NBA championship or something. But she's like, Daddy, you got to hold it specific away. You, you can't just, you know, have it any old way. This is an honor. And then she was just beaming on how she won this trophy and the joy that was in her heart. And, and I said, wow, was, I'm, I'm so glad for you. So I was teasing her yesterday because I said, I'm going to talk about a crown, your crown that you won. But I want you to know this. God himself shows us off as the crown. His prized possession. He looks on you with great joy. He beams with pride, happiness, and great love. And he cherishes you. He doesn't want to live without you. He made us. He wants to have fellowship with us. He is proud to display us for his glory. We are God's prized possession, the apple of his eye. And so I want us to conclude with this. How do we experience God's goodness daily? Because he's pouring it out on us constantly. He's never going to withhold these things from us. 
He wants to bless us and he wants to continue in that fellowship and relationship with us. That's why he's jealous when other things come before him. So I want to give us three ways to experience God's goodness daily. Number one, renew your mind to the goodness of God. Renew your mind to the goodness of God. Scripture says in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You can renew your mind to the goodness of God. Start your day and start today washing those traditions and wrong thoughts away with truth. Get your Bible out, your Bible out, or your your browser, right? (laughs) And let God himself tell you through his own word that he's a God that heals. He's a God that can deliver. Dig into the scriptures and discover for yourself that he's a God of all mercy. Dig into the scriptures and find out that he's a God of loving kindness to us. Find out from his words that he's compassionate and that he's good. But number two, experience God's goodness daily. Believe you will see the goodness of God. Believe it. He's constantly raining down blessings on us. So believe you'll see his goodness in this life. I was brought up where a lot of people said, well, it's it's the life to come. I read the scriptures every day and it says it's here. There's certain things he wants to do here. So believe you will see the goodness of God. Psalm 27, verse 13 says, I would have lost heart, David said. I would have lost heart unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. If you want to taste the goodness of God, you need to believe you'll see God in your life here. Let's set the record straight. God is not holding back any good thing. 1 Corinthians 2, 9 and 10 says, Eye has not seen, ear hasn't even heard. What has entered in the heart of man, the things which God has prepared for those that he loves. He has things in store for us that we can't even imagine. Dreams for us that we can't even think of. And if we're thinking about it, maybe it's just too small because he's a big God. But that's exciting to think about it. And he wants to rain those things on us. He wants to bless us with those things. So experience God and expect his goodness in your life. But finally, receive the goodness of God. Receive it. The Lord will withhold no good thing from those who do what is right. Well, Scripture says, walk in integrity, Psalm 84, 11. He will withhold no good thing. This verse plainly says that God isn't in the business of withholding things from those who live according to his word. Nothing. Once you renew your mind and you believe you will see the goodness of God, all that is left for you to do is receive his goodness. Have an open heart. Have open hands. God, I receive it. 
It's your will. Give it to me. You're a good God, and you want to bless me. What's missing in your life today? What do you long for? What do you pray for? What do you dream about? If it lines up with his word, God wants you to have it. That doesn't mean we, don't, we, we have a part to play. We have a part to play in it, of course. But our part is obedience and receiving it by faith. So Life Christian Church, believe his word. Act on his word. And receive his goodness. Amen. There is no grace.